Welcome, everybody. We are, this is the first podcast for um, Addicts in Recovery. Um, or AIR. Or AIR. A-I-R. That's a good one. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, we are starting this podcast um, for a variety of reasons. I think, uh, my name's Zach, and uh, this is Mike, and we're going to have Mike first start off telling us kind of like why, why is it, we're st- why, why are we doing this? So, uh, good question. You know, I've, uh, you know, going through a 30-day treatment and, you know, 90 days of IOP, one of my therapists that there, he uh, really had a strong emphasis on service and, you know, saying that if you stick your, you know, your feet in the water and uh, keep them wet with uh, giving back, you know, and I really struggled trying to figure out, like, what do I do? Do I, like, go help out, like, at a food kitchen? You know, like, <laughs> do I go, uh, like, go out of the homeless shelter? Like, there's just a lot of things that cross my mind. But, like, I think the one, I uh, think it struck a chord with me that I uh, felt like I wanted to talk about it. You know, there, anybody, if one person can benefit off this, we've uh, done our job. That's how I feel. So I felt like a, a service-oriented position, you know, trying to go that route with recovery would be a good thing. So that's why I decided to do this. And thank you for uh, letting me rope you into this. too. (laughs) I'm excited. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. So, um, all right. So kind of the, the agenda that we have, um, for this podcast is we're going to get into kind of, um, we're going to do a little like rundown of who we are. Uh, and we're going to go over like, what is addiction? Um, kind of who is an addict and, uh, kind of how somebody can kind of fall into addiction, things like that. Um, well, that, man, that was weird. The air just turned, <laughs> the off, air just turned off. So right now we're actually in my kitchen, <laughs> uh, in, in my house. We decided to come out here cause it was a little, uh, felt roomier. Yeah. Um, yeah, but on the line, on the, <laughs> on the line of, of, uh, addiction as well, we, to kind of call, not call out people, but to, um, recognize it, to make it so it's more of a known thing. You know, I know that that's something I struggle with. I know my family struggle with it. There's a lot of enabling and deceiving and lying and a lot of stuff that kind of gets circulated into that. And, um, you know, to kind of figure out who is an addict, you know, I think that's a, a good thing to, we can chat about today. Absolutely. Let's talk about it though. Let's talk about each other. Like let's, uh, let's give a rundown, Zach, who are you? All right, so um, I am, I'm an addict, obviously. <laughs> uh, I, then uh, I grew up, I grew up always uh, kind of this, this uh, awkward person. Um, the only time, the only time that I wasn't like a very awkward person is when I was uh, like using, using or drinking. And, and so that became very prevalent in my life. Um, very prevalent in my life. It yeah, was like, like how, how old? I it, mean. Oh yeah, so like um, I I initially started using like early early teens, probably like ten or eleven maybe. Okay. Um, and then I, but actually, I mean, my entire life I'd been abusing things. So like, right from the get go, uh, I remember I was a chunkier kid because I would eat everything in my path, mm-hmm. and uh, I would always binge watch cartoons. Like I could repeat like probably every episode of SpongeBob. <laughs> almost verbatim and it's been 20 years um be, and, and so i've always had i've always had addictive addictive tendencies and it wasn't um it wasn't really that big of i guess it wasn't really that big of a surprise when i like went into treatment and they said you're a drug addict right like 
I already knew that. I was <laughs> well aware of that. I was saying that when I was like 14. Right. Um, and, it, and uh, but it basically, I mean, it just spiraled from, from if it was food or it was drugs or if it was whatever it may be, it, it just led me down to, to just the self-destruction. I mean, it's really what it was. Yeah. Um, and finally, I can't say that I, at that point in time, like when I got, when it, when it came down to where I had to go to treatment, I can't say that I wanted to. I don't know if anybody wants no, to. No, I think it's kind of a... Uh, especially the taboo. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that. You know, I really want to... I really yeah. want to go. Man, I would just love to go to rehab. Um, I mean, Amy Winehouse makes it sound so great. <laughs> she, uh, um, anyway. So, uh, yeah, man, I went from there. And then uh, I got into got into recovery. And it was like I had never found, uh, a, I guess, a peace of mind or, I guess, a happiness that I had without drugs. Um until I got into recovery mm -hmm. and and so that's why that's why I just kept going I just kept going and uh it's been like during your process though I mean like <clears throat> maybe at least this is how I felt I like felt like there was no way out like you were done yeah yeah absolutely um the it's really funny I have this really bad Christmas story uh <laughs> for some reason like terrible terrible things happen to me either around holidays or when it involves Disneyland. I don't know why <laughs> I'm serious. I don't know why. Uh, the last, so, so when I was 18, uh, I was like 17, this, um, I had, I was like head over here for this girl and whatnot. And, uh, she totally broke my heart and she, um, I broke up with me anyway. It was like a week before Christmas and we were spending Christmas in Disney world. Oh boy. And, uh, and it was, <laughs> It was a it was a nightmare. Uh, I can't believe my parents still talk to me after that. And uh, and then um, it happened again. Or I didn't get my heart broken, but then we we planned on going to Disneyland. And right before we go to Disneyland, like all hell breaks loose. <laughs> and but before or we get back from Disneyland, and I get back from like strangling Mickey Mouse, and uh, I ended up laying in this room and I remember looking up at the ceiling fan and I just remember like contemplating every way possible that I could hang myself from the ceiling fan. Really? Um, I knew that the weight, my body weight was not going to be held up by like two screws in right. sheetrock. So I had this kind of MacGyver setup going on where I was going to run a rope from the sliding door that was four feet away from it and then up, up. to help support it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, cause that's how, that's literally, that's where my, that's where my mind went. I mean, I, I had, I literally had nothing else to do. And for some reason it wasn't, I don't even know why this never even crossed my mind that there was a different way to live. Mm -hmm. I, I, it's like a whole nother direction. You yeah, can exactly. Go. And even if somebody had said that at that point in time, I'd have been like, yo, okay, fuck you. Right. I don't <laughs> Yeah. I know. I'd be like, you, what do you, what do you yeah. know? Who do you, you <laughs> don't know me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but no, but like that's, that's a really good like point though, because I like, so for, for example, I had a, I had an aunt growing up. It was like a complete like math, cocaine like daily you know binge drink every day and it scared me growing up a lot of like the heavier stuff like to kind of avoid like not do those things like mm -hmm. I wouldn't that's like a line like I won't cross that mm -hmm. but it was weird to kind of like watch myself kind of like find the area that was like oh you know that is okay you know yeah like this this is it's legal yeah in the United States to drink but the way I was doing it wasn't legal but 
Um, <laughs> the way I was doing it wasn't legal. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely wasn't. But uh, it's a great cop out, though. Yeah, it's legal. Yeah, yeah. it's legal. I mean, yeah, everybody's you know, doing it. Doesn't nobody judges you when you walk out of a Seven Eleven with like two thirty packs? You're like, oh, he's probably going to a party. <laughs> yeah. At at twelve thirty in the afternoon, <laughs> right? <laughs> On a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> but I uh, I don't know. Like I just for the heavier stuff like that. Like I just remember just kind of always having that like limit or that barrier, you know, like not to cross it. And I never did, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't know. I just don't know how I like got myself to that position. Like it's really hard thing since I've been sober for nine months of, uh, kind of like putting the puzzle back together, mm-hmm. you know, like how did I get to there? Yeah. I get what you're saying. You know, um, when I, uh, <laughs> when man, I still remember the day. Hell, I remember where I was at when I, uh, the, the thought of getting into harder drugs, because I was smoking pot at a really young age. I mean, I got a DUI at 16. Okay. Like, I was going, and it wasn't a DUI from alcohol either. I mean, it was just, it was, it was a DUI from just about everything but alcohol. Um, but I remember sitting in this, I remember sitting in my friend's house, and I remember telling myself, uh, you know, I'll do... I'll smoke pot. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll drink. Uh, I might even, you know, take a painkiller, you know, here or there. But I'm never going to do meth. I'm never going to do cocaine, yeah. and I'm never going to do heroin. And the reason why I said that, and I think actually it was a fairly honest statement, is because I would like it too much. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's a real yeah. Um, and it wasn't. What's funny is people always talk about. I mean, they talk about like meth. You know, meth mm-hmm. is such a dark word. Meth. Right, right. It's like um, teeth falling out. Exactly. It's like, like this exactly. zombie exactly. apocalyptic, like... And, yeah, exactly. But then when you think of... When people talk about, like, say, ecstasy, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, ecstasy is much more... I mean, people talk about how they feel ecstasy, right? right? Um, ecstasy is much more of a, like, a, a happier, you know, what they, what they talk about. It's a social drug or whatever. Right. Um, but they won't do meth, right? Like... Ecstasy and meth are ridiculously similar. I mean, they're right. almost the same thing. And that was actually what led me down to to using meth is one day I uh one day one day I had somebody or I was at my house or whatever and uh, somebody had it and I thought, man, I told myself I remember I told myself I'm not gonna do this. And then I looked back and I thought, well, I've been to, I don't know, a hundred raves, right? right? So I've taken ecstasy before. Well, I mean, it's similar to meth, right? Might as well just, might as well just take it. But don't you think like when you start to get that involved in it, like I felt like at least for me, I would catch myself doing things with like no reasoning behind it. You know, it was like, I oh, would yeah. just catch myself like at the liquor store. Yeah. Oh yeah, know? absolutely. Like, yeah, you know, I don't need to do this today. And also I'm like, already six beers deep. Yeah. Well, you know? and, and that's, and that's kind of that, that first, uh, so the first justification that I had, like, as far as let's just say meth goes, I mean, I've done every drug or again, but, um, when you, that first, that first decision that, or the first opportunity to take it, there's, there's a thought that goes through the head of maybe I should do this. Maybe I shouldn't do this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and normal people, um, I guess normies, like ones right. that I, I use, you know, quotation, finger quotations for that. Um, they'll actually weigh out like consequences and they'll actually weigh out, 
Um, and I, I, I can't even say I did that. The, the one decision that, or the one thought that came through my head is, are you really going to do this? Are you really going to, are you really going to smoke this right now? And I did. And then from then on, it was once, just, once it was I hit that, it was habitual. Part of it. Yeah. yeah? Mm-hmm. I would, I would end up with a pipe in my hand or I'd end up with a rig in my hand or I'd end up with a drink in my hand or I'd end up with whatever. And that was just part of, yeah, exactly. It's just, just part, part of it. how it went. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah, that's, I, I feel you on that. I know that, uh, so I have a question for you. Like, when did you feel like you were kind of at the low? Like, everyone talks about, like, like a rock-bottom experience or, like, you know, something that was really kind of a devastating thing. Sometimes it's people getting a DUI or, like, getting losing their job or their family or whatever. But, like, what, what was it with you? Um, I, uh, that's a really good question. Um, I, call it, I, I call it my first notable god shot. Mm-hmm. And I, I use the God term very loosely, um, very loosely. They, I, I was working and I was living out of a, out of a hotel room and, uh, in Phoenix and somebody from Utah, like when you go, I mean, you think, you know, drugs, (laughs) I I mean, I grew up like around drugs and if I wasn't around drugs, I was finding, I was finding them. Like I was trying to get to them and, uh, you move to Phoenix and it's like, I mean, when you can throw a rock and be over the border of Mexico, right, it's dude, like all it, it's, on. yeah. I mean, it makes Utah look like a wasteland. <laughs> and so I just, I just tanked, man. I, I went, I went down hard too. I remember initially going there. The plan was to, to get off, like to, to clean up. And I got down there and I found out, I mean, just the, the, the quantity of it and how everyone has it and just all this other um nonsense and i i basically went from you know cloud nine for the first probably week to i mean basically six feet under Mm. i was very close to being dead and i can't say that there was um there was actually like a low low what i can say is my hotel room when I was at, like when I was on my way to this Disneyland trip, uh-huh. my hotel room uh, was raided by the fire department. I've never really raided, but somebody burned their burned something and set the so fire alarm off. Okay. And fire protocol is you have to go through every room in the building. Mm-hmm. And even so you're like you're, my cute I'm little so yeah, well my cute little do not disturb sign because I was out of town. Oh, okay. and so my cute little do not disturb sign didn't stop the cops from going in or the fire department from going in, and they went in and dude, it was so bad. My room was uh, the lady that cleans the hotels, and I think she was talking a big game. I don't know. Uh-huh. She, she said it was one of the worst rooms she'd ever seen. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, what I can say though Denial. is yeah, <laughs> I can't. I didn't think it was that bad. Um, <laughs> But what I can say is it hit, it, uh, it hit me into the person that was paying for that hotel room was my dad because I was working for my dad. Mm-hmm. And so immediately um, after it was raided or whatever, it was searched or however, immediately after I got busted, I guess, they, they called the cops and the cops, uh, or not the cops, sorry, they called my dad's partner. My dad's partner then called him and uh and then it was, it was like basically all downhill from there. Mm-hmm. I lost my job. My family said I couldn't stay with them anymore. And they said the only way that you How could How old were you at this time? Uh, 22. Okay. 22. And I, I basically, they, they kind of just dropped an ultimatum. They said, either you're on the streets or you're going to rehab. Mm-hmm. 
And I didn't want to go to rehab. I didn't yeah, want to get like, sober. Yeah, like, you're like, I'm having a great time. Yeah, exactly. Um, but not really. No, I was miserable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was so miserable. And I didn't know that I was miserable. Right. That was the thing I, is I always just thought that the world was rough and I had it rough and la da 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 But in reality, it was, I, I was very miserable. Well, the weird thing about like when you're in that misery, I, what the feeling that came to me all the time was like, like, almost claustrophobic you know mm-hmm. like or just like a lot like i feel like i lost my freedom yeah you know where you're like oh, yeah, oh, like oh i'm i'm i can do whatever i want to do mm-hmm. and then you end up choosing that path and like you're you're revolving around like the drug yeah you know oh, what I'm saying? 100%. Like, gotta do my day's gotta float around that yeah and that that feeling was you know because i grew up very claustrophobic and mm-hmm. just like hated elevators hated tight spaces and like feeling that pressure that like i had to have alcohol wherever i went was terrifying yeah oh absolutely you know so it is mis- like it's you, th- you know you're thinking you're having a great time but it's total hell you know? yeah oh yeah and then you think that you have like i mean when i when i turned 18 and i was i i was an adult you know right i was out of the house and the first place i went to was a place that i knew i could get away with partying because i knew that was what i wanted to do yeah is i wanted to party and that's exactly i mean my first decision was I am moving to where I can party, and then from there I would rotate my life around whoever, whoever, whoever had water, wherever it was. Sure. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, that was um, the bottom. The bottom for me really wasn't. It wasn't as much of a bottom as I necessarily could create myself. Mm-hmm. As much as I don't know, you know, say the universe or God or whatever. I mean, to me, it's all the same thing. Something extenuating. Something outside of me caused this set of events to happen Mm -hmm. and that is what pushed me to actually like dive into it yeah stop getting high (laughs) so like let's talk about that then for a second and so before we switch gears uh so you go into rehab then and like what's your like total attitude at the beginning fuck you (laughs) fuck you Dude, I went into rehab and I work in a rehab. Yeah. And let me tell you, I would have beat my own ass mm-hmm. if I <laughs> because I went in there and immediately, uh, I immediately thought these people are just in it for their money. Yeah. They just want my money, and that's all they want. And it's well, it's because like, well, not to cut you off, but like on. Like you, you, you hear of it and it's kind of a novelty, you know, you're like, okay, Betty Ford. And they're like, people are paying a hundred thousand dollars a month just to go to like a place. And it's like, is this like a country club? You know, or like what, how right. bad, how bad are these people really? <laughs> like what type of, like, I want to know their habits before, you know, I want to know the story behind it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like an, I don't know, like a novelty, but then at the same time, it's kind of like a down looked on thing too. Oh, you absolutely. Know? You went to rehab, Zach? Yeah. <laughs> Zach, uh, I remember jamming. You know, I, I, I remember like jamming your, your Amy Winehouse in rehab. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure, sure your friends' parents are like, oh, "Did you? Did you? you know, oh have yeah. You, have you heard from Zach lately? No kidding. <laughs> um. Oh yeah. The ward. The mm. ward asks all sorts of questions. Well, did, you got to tell people what a ward is, though. Yeah, oh, that's a good point. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the church members that live in my area um, ask all sorts so, of questions. So clearly, Zach and I grew up in a very uh, LDS, which is uh, Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, or Mormons. Yeah. We both kind of grew up with that in our past. Um, oh, yeah. We'll, t- we'll chat about religion another time. <laughs> we, well, that, can, that will take a long time. 
Okay, so let's let's jump back in. So you you go to rehab. Yeah, so I go to rehab and I'm pissed. I'm so mad. I'm mad at I'm mad at life. I'm mad at the world. I'm mad at my parents. Uh, I'm mad at I don't know. If somebody looked at me, I'd be mad at them. Like, yeah. Just because I was just genuinely angry. Um, I had been so beaten down uh, that I couldn't uh, I couldn't see past um, anything but doom and gloom and I'm mm-hmm. gonna die or what's the point I'm gonna move or I'm gonna leave here and I'm gonna get high again um stupid you know shit like that and so I did you ever have like the mindset like when I leave this is what I'm gonna I'm like I'm gonna I'm gonna go do it again uh like, like that high too. again yeah or just kind of like you know what I can do what I want several you know? times so when I first went into rehab I thought drinking was sober Okay. <laughs> I, I'm not even kidding because I was like a heavy, hardcore drug addict. And uh-huh. so I would use, I mean, anytime that I would come down off of anything, so say, you know, I was on a two week meth binge or whatever, um, I would lose or I would use it, use alcohol as a way to come off of that. Okay. So I would take, I don't know, three or four days of like a week long sabbatical after. And the only reason I would do that is because my family would find out or somebody would find out and then it'd be a big explosion. Right. And so I'd be like, all right, I'm going to get drunk for a week. Right. Um, and I considered that to be to be sober. And so when I went into rehab, I immediately thought, okay, I'm going in, and the only reason I'm going in is um, so that I can just drink, right? You know, and I be like normal. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna like the like the big book would say, um, drink like a gentleman. You know, sure. And so I I went through, and I'm not. Man. I'm not even kidding you. I was so miserable that there was a guy that came in like two weeks after me and I convinced him to leave. (laughs) I I couldn't, I couldn't leave, but he could. And so, uh, you don't, you don't need this. You don't need this. And then of course he went back out and started drinking again. Look, thank God he's alive. Um, I probably feel pretty terrible. Um, but that's just where I was at, man. I, and I, I didn't ever see myself, I didn't ever see myself working with people in recovery. I didn't even see myself staying in recovery to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, the only thing that I wanted when I initially got in there was just to, for one, basically get the world off my back Right. and I needed to keep my job and I needed to have a place to live. And so, so a lot of people talk about like kind of the reasonings why they do what they do, you know, um, in addiction, like having kind of that addictive personality and like, was there something that was underlining with you that was like, you know, I, I just am not like happy or like, I'm not like things in my life aren't what I want it to be. Like, am I not? good enough to my parents or like am I struggling in school mm. do, you, do you know yeah you started at such a young age I mean I really do you remember any of that like oh yeah um a lot of it a lot of it had to do and I'm gonna put a disclaimer on here that <laughs> man I love my parents mm-hmm. um and my dad is a really good man uh, but his level of effective communication is zero okay I, it's it's pretty bad and he's I mean Everything else about him, he's great. Uh, well, but to, to kind of give it back, because I, we've talked about this in the past. Our, my dad's very similar. Uh, you know, my dad, we're, uh, I'm in a construction family, and mm-hmm. you're, we're in a drilling family. Yeah, construction. Right? Same. So, like, yeah. so kind of a hard, blue-collared father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And he was one of those, you know, no emotion, no, um, no sympathy, no anything like that. I mean, anytime that you... I would do something, so I would. He would say, "Hey, go mow the lawn," and I would go mow the lawn, and he would say, um, 
you mowed the lawn, but you missed this spot, and you missed this spot, and you can do better, and you can okay. do better. And it was never, it was never a, um, it was never a thank you, or you did a great job, this looks or great. yeah, or mm-hmm. this looks great. No, it was, you missed a spot, and you can do better, and you can do better. And that really ate at me for a really long time um, as a kid, because I wouldn't, I could never meet up to daddy's expectations. Right, so you did you, where did you fall in your family? Um, what do you mean, like, like, siblings siblings sorry, oh no clear. you're fine um i'm the middle child okay so, so i'm the same way like i so i'll i'll give you a little rundown on me so when i my mom and dad always kind of joked when i was born that like i was like didn't cry you know i came out of the womb like smiling you know <laughs> and i i've always been you know a kind of a genuinely genuinely happy person you know smiling a lot laughing a lot never taking life too seriously but um i think my parents kind of overlooked that you know like he's okay. He's he seemed like he's laughing. He's having a good time. He's excelling at the sports that he's doing or whatever. Yeah, and and I think not that my parents did anything wrong. It mm-hmm. wasn't. It was just how I was. It was like okay, I just I'm, I'm content. I'm I don't need help. Yeah. You know. And Absolutely. I think like in my later years, started to notice more th- times that I wish that my like seemed some of my parents, you know, or my friends' parents do things with them and like going on trips or like going skiing together or doing stuff like I got really kind of jealous and like kind of like pissed off mm-hmm. like what like what was wrong with me why don't I get that attention you know yeah and not that I was like the reasoning like well I'm on I'm not gonna be rebellious now and you know but it it definitely you know middle child it uh it has its uh, little twirls in there, it I does guess, you know? it does oh yeah absolutely um yeah, so it was basically a lot of it had to do with just parent issues. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of I had a lot of parent issues, and then my uh, my by the time I was in grade school, I mean I was idolizing these you know dead rock stars: Jimi Hendrix, mm-hmm. Janis Joplin, mm-hmm. you know, Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison, exactly. I, I had this kick. I think I was probably in like maybe sixth grade, and I had this kick about Jim Morrison and how he wasn't really dead. Right, you know, some conspiracy man. He just left to Europe. Yeah, he just left to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, and so, really, it came down uh, the the way that it, the way that it initially started. I mean, I couldn't honestly tell you what you know what day I'll, I decided I was just gonna turn. Be an yeah, right, yeah. Right. but what I can say is it started. It started really young. Okay, that's for sure. So. Anyway, we've already spent a half hour on me. It's about time to, to turn <laughs> these tables on you. No, I like to ask the so. questions. <laughs> I, I, think it's, uh, I think it's fun to listen to people. Um, all right, man. Um, well, what do you yeah, want to know? Start off, man. What do you got? Well, let's see. Like, I kind of touched bases a little bit of kind of my middle child stuff. But, um, you know, I had a great childhood. I really did. Parents were great. Family was great. We were very, we were pretty close, all of us. My older brother, he actually kind of stepped in quite a bit of uh, being kind of a dad figure at times, you know, needing someone to blame, rock climbing or another ski partner, you know, so, or camping buddy, because he didn't want to be lost by himself. He needed, you know, <laughs> so I, I used to kind of tag along with him where he's a, quite a bit older than me. So it was kind of fun to grow up that way. But, um, you know, I always had this, like, I went to the high school I went to is extremely like an active, you know, Mormon high school and I really cared a lot for some reason of what other people thought of me it, for some reason I always had like this value of what people thought and 
And I wasn't living up to that. You know, like if my friends were like, oh, I'm taking this AP, whatever, whatever class, like I would like weasel myself into the counselor and be like, you know, what? I can probably handle this AP class. And they're like, you sure? It might be kind of hard on you. You know, like not that I was a terrible student, like I got good grades, but it was just like, it was, it was like I was just doing it for kind of the wrong reason, you know? Mm-hmm. So I carried a, carried a lot about that. So in high school, I, I just like avoided drugs, alcohol, all of it, just never... You know, I saw it definitely at parties and whatever, and I just was like, I never, never want to do that. And then I just, once I graduated, it was like, here we go. You know, like I went on a senior trip to Cancun. We lied to our parents, all of us, and we just were like, yeah, we have a chaperone that's going to come to Cancun with us. And we just got an airplane and just flew to, to Cancun, you know. And that was like pretty wild. I mean, like you're going to senior frogs and like, you know, you're 18 years old and you're like, okay, here we go. Clubbing all night. You know, you're just drinking, you know, they just give you so much alcohol down there. It's just like they walk around with like spray bottles, you know, and like pumps, pump keg things and just like squirt tequila (laughs) in people's mouths. And I just remember that I had a really big fear when I was down there because like I was watching my friends drink as much as I was and then they would just like be obliterated where they couldn't they would just pass out and that would never happen to me like I was watching them I was like I just equally drink as much as him but why am I not feeling or looking like I should be like him I should be like on the bed asleep and I'm just like I was like I want more yeah you know Was that, wasn't that like a very proud moment where you're like, I just don't drink that. Yeah, guy. I cannot drink you. Yeah. Like it's like this like pride <laughs> thing. It's like the dumbest pride. You know, like, let's see who can kill our bodies first. Exactly. Ready, set, go. <laughs> who but can like, handle the most poison? <laughs> but I just remember, you know, being down there and just kind of noticing that. And when I got home, I, I would uh, notice my friends like at random parties just like having a couple beers. And like I would be already like six beers ahead, like mentally of them. You know, they're like... I would sneak into the fridge or go and grab a bottle and just kind of like start to kind of pound it down mm-hmm. and, and thinking that was normal. And at that point, like I should have known that that behavior is not normal, you know? <laughs> yeah. But who's there to tell you? Nobody. Yeah. You're going to, you're telling you are going to tell anybody I know. they're sneaking drinks. Right. <laughs> so like, I just became like really good at like that pathway of mm-hmm. like, I could deceive, like I literally could pass it feels sobriety test just completely wasted. And I did, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I got pulled over going 160 miles an hour on a 50 mile per hour road in my car. And the, and I had, you know, eight or nine empty cans behind my seat. And I had a jug of fireball on my lap <laughs> and the cop was fi- shining his flashlight at my lap. He was like, what's that? I was like, Oh, it's just a gift. It's not opened. Uh-huh. And I just like put on the seat. <laughs> but like my, my attitude like would change when I get drunk because like I turned like really like professional and like really like like turn it back to him. Like, so why did you pull me over, officer? <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. And just it, so I don't know. It's just it's a really messed up way because like I got away with it for so long. You know? How uh how did it feel? So did you when you went to Cancun, was that like the first time that you really got yeah I mean it was like it was like daily drinking you know like we'd have you know mimosas in the morning bloody marys and then like it would eventually turn to you know drinks during the afternoon and then we'd be at the beach and hanging out surfing and just getting drunk for 10 days and how did uh how did it feel to get out of society and to go do it felt like liberating because like I was always the type like I just loved 
outdoorsy stuff and like travel. Like I always had that like as a high value. Like I want to do this. Like I want to backpack Europe. I want to, you know, cause I was always active, you know, with kayaking or, you know, racing, skiing or mountain biking or, or whatever, anything outside. But that just like felt liberating. Like I'm, I'm an adult, you know, I can do this. And, and like I, the weird thing was, was I never really had any hangovers. It was like, I could just keep going and it was scary, you know, <laughs> but I, I didn't see the, how scary that was. It was just like, oh, I'm lucky. I was yeah. like treating like I was lucky, you know. <laughs> Watching my friends like throwing up that night. Like we almost got arrested down there. My friend, we got so drunk at a bar that we got into a taxi cab. My friend puked all over the taxi car, and there was a police officer behind the taxi driver. You know, and, the, and they were talking with each other like, "What should we do? Should we?" You know, the police officer like, "Do you want me to take him to jail?" And I just, like, ran into the hotel room and, like, ripped off a five-gallon jug of water that was, like, you know, the, the water dispenser. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I ripped it off, and I ran out there and just, like, started dumping it all over the car. I'm, like, I mean, my friend, like, wipe off his, with his shirt all over the, you know. It was, it was stupid. And then, the, you know, the, the taxi guy let us go. And he's, like, oh, move on. Don't do that again. <laughs> It just, but it was just dumb. No you know? bueno. Yeah, yeah, no bueno. <laughs> Los cientos. Los cientos. <laughs> <laughs> But it was, it was, uh, but when I got home from that, like it's, it was just kind of randomly drinking here and there. And mm -hmm. then there was a gap of like probably five years, three or four or five years where I didn't drink at all. And then it just, what do you think happened there? What do you think that, why do you think, I mean, do you think like your like addiction went into remission or I mean, how, how do you think? Cause there's a lot of people, I mean, in this, um, specifically in, the facility I'm working in, there was somebody who would come up to me and say, uh, I don't know why I'm here. I don't have a problem. I quit for 10 years. Right. And well, I think he like, I think he kind of like turn it, you know, cause like my attention for a long time was I was competitively mountain bike racing, mm -hmm. like long endurance races and not just racing to race to have a fun on a weekend. I mean, it was like, it was I'm not trying to like boost myself, but I'm just, I was really competing, you mm -hmm. know, at a, you know, really high level. And I was riding my bike, you know, ridiculous goals. You know, I had to climb 20,000 feet a week on my mountain bike and I was average and I was, you know, caking about 5,000 miles a year on my mountain bike alone, another probably 3,000 on my road bike. So it was like almost 10 ish thousand miles a year. And that was like that for a while. Uh, then my wife and I, we, we got pregnant not me, she, <laughs> on our first. And it, and it's not like things changed, but like the dynamics at the home were very different. Cause like when you're, when you're barely, you know, married, you have like a relationship with each other and you are busy. Like you're at school or you're at work and you get home at night and then like you just kind of hang out and whatever. But when you, when you add a, a child into the factor, it definitely slowed things down for me. And at that point I was like, Social drinking, you know, having a beer on Fridays at lunch with a couple of buddies, you know, to weekend stuff. And I just, it just, it started turning when I like started having it so accessible and like just noticing, like I go to the liquor store and then like I start getting, you know, and then people start recognizing me at the liquor store. And then I'm like, is this a problem? You know, what am I doing? And that pattern went so fast. I'm shocked at how quickly like it went from being okay you know like as a social drinker 
but always in the mindset, the reason why I was doing it wasn't ever to like pair a glass of wine with like some salmon. It was like, <laughs> let's drink the, let's drink the whole bottle. You yeah. know, it was never the, the intention of the drink was never to like pair it or like enjoy it with like the taste of the flavor. It was, I wanted the effect of it for sure. Absolutely. You know, so that, so kind of like long story short. So that turned into about a five year, you know, binge about five years solid binge of daily drinking and nobody noticing it. Like I work in a family business with like my older brother who was pretty aware of, of stuff, you know, but my, my dad for sure, just like in denial of like, no, he's not, that's not, you know, <laughs> when, I, when I actually told him, cause I'll, I'll talk more about this later, but when I actually told him, I was like, dad, I need some help. He's like, Hey Michael, let's just go get in the car. I'll take you to an AA meeting right now. I'm like, nah. <laughs> I, I heard that helps. And I'm just like, I'm like looking at my dad, like across the way, like, you know, pretty much crying in my living room. I'm just like, dad, like I need help. Like I need help. And that was hard. That was really hard because like he is my boss too, you know? So it's like dad and boss, you know? I hear you. Like I, why the fuck have you guys not seen any of these signs in the past? <laughs> like why has nobody said anything to me? You know, like clearly people have like told me after like, yeah, I did notice like you did smell like alcohol quite a bit. And it's like, why didn't you say something to me? <laughs> you know, like it wasn't in a setting of like we're at dinner or something. It was like, at our, my son's soccer game. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, I noticed you smell like alcohol at your son's soccer game. What's going on? Is, is everything okay? But I, people have like that, they just, I don't know. I think it comes, I think a lot of it comes with the culture too. So um, a lot of people, especially in in the Mormon, Mormon culture, they have a... Um, they almost have. They would rather. They would rather sit back and judge than they would address. Sure. Um, well, it's easier. And I, yeah, it is absolutely. Or to even be in denial. My my mom, like, <laughs> bless her heart. Um, she lived in denial. Yeah, <laughs> we can hear the jets. Um, we, yeah, she lived in denial. I mean, just total. I, I remember having. Um, like, people would call my mom and say, hey, your son's on drugs. Mm. I mean, they could probably have handed her drugs, you know, and said, hey, we got these out of your son's bag. And my mom, my mom immediately, no, 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 he's just having a hard time. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, he's just a kid, whatever it may be. Right. Um, and, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's kind of amazing. But it's also people who haven't been there before right. don't necessarily know what to like look Like, what for. to do, Yeah. yeah. Or like and what's so, okay and what's not okay. And so, yeah, exactly. And I, I found it like so. I found it really fascinating that um, that you you switched gears. So like you were drinking for a while, you were partying, and then you switched to a new almost obsession, mm -hmm. which was competing, biking. I mean, constantly moving, working, and then and then it switched back again. So right. like so so like this guy that I was talking to that said um you know I quit for ten years mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, I quit cold turkey. I never went into an AA meeting. I never got into recovery or any of that stuff. I just quit. Um, nine out of ten times, that's what happens is the addiction doesn't necessarily go away. It just changes faces. Sure. and But there's different, like, on kind of speaking of faces, there's different faces of it, too. Like, there could be the binge drinker that's every single day, you know, or the morning drinker or, like, a weekend whatever, you know, or every other week or 
or the, the addict that's that way too. You know, that's not like has to do this every single day and can't function without it right the second. I mean, there's different levels of it. Yeah. You know, like I've seen it with some of people that I know that it's like, I can't believe that you daily drink. And I'm like, okay, well, then you're almost like comparing. You're like, well, I can't believe you drank all that tonight, yeah. you know, <laughs> at a party. That was a lot to handle, you know? So it's, everyone's a little bit different too, I guess, in their own yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I just, I find it, and you're right, the, the different faces of it, because um, there are so many, I mean, as far as, as far as addiction goes, I, I like to use addiction just because the, the definition of alcoholism is being addicted to alcohol. Right. <laughs> so, like, it's, I, it's flat definition, so I just use addiction because it's more versatile. Um, but alcoholism is literally the same thing, um, just mm-hmm. in a different phase. And to see, like, say, for instance, Mormon suburbia mm-hmm. is, um, is antidepressants, like right. Valium and Xanax and, um, or painkillers. Um, I don't know how many, how many people I know that are, that were hyper-religious at one point and then they injured themselves and then they ended up as heroin addicts because they got, oh, hooked, on their, they, they got yeah. hooked on their pills that their doctor gave them and they thought, oh, well, the doctor gave me this, so this is safe. Well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure when you live in a community like that where it's like perfectionism, like be perfect. Yeah, be it is perfect. too. Like, you got to do this, you got to do this. And, and I think for a lot of people, they kind of get stuck in that trap, you know, where they're like, I can't, like I, and, and here's one thing I wanted to chat about because it's more of like one thing that's really helped me out. And it's kind of more of that mindful approach of it of slowing down and and if you're trying to be like that quest of perfection and you're not fitting in it's okay to stop you know and freeze Mm -hmm. and really like listen to yourself and I I feel like people just struggle with that like I know that I struggle with that so much of like of just being aware of my need and going into rehab was like the first time that I was able to like look at myself in the mirror and, and say like okay slow it down. Don't worry about everything right now. Like, let's just focus on you, you know? And that's hard. You know, that's really hard for people to to do that. It was extremely hard for me. And I know that, you know, uh, but I'm, I'm happy that I did that. Mm -hmm. It really like, okay, I don't have to, you know, I I can wake up in the morning and it's okay to feel like shit. Mm -hmm. It's what I do with that is what's the important part of it. You know, like you could wake up groggy or happy or sad or whatever. Like, I wish people were more like honest about that when they wake up yeah, and like openly about it, just like coming up to their, like a friend or their spouse or their children or anybody and just being like, you know what? I just, I feel like, I feel like shit right now, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. and just, and just being okay with that, not hiding it, yeah, not hiding and tiptoeing around, you know, feeling, feeling like that. So it's, it's a definitely a huge thing that helped me out. That's cool. Okay, so we started veering course a little bit. What I know, happened? I know. Um, I, I, we do that. What happened to? I did the same thing. So, <laughs> um, so you you binged for like five years. Okay. Yeah. And what what was your bottom? What happened? So, with me, like I I started noticing like I started getting hangovers, and that was like I'm like oh, okay, you know, because I could I could still drink a whole bunch of alcohol and still compete mountain biking it was, it would just wear off, you know, just like burn off. And I was like, okay, I feel like I feel good. But, um, I started getting a little bit older and I started noticing just the slow recovery of it. I just like, I can't, you know, it's like 
a half a day turn into a day and then a day turn into two days of feeling like shit, you know? And I started noticing my amounts going up higher. You know, I started drinking like just like a six pack a day and then it started turning into like a 12 pack and then the 12 pack turned into like a 30 pack, you know? <laughs> and that was a daily thing for a long time. And, uh, my rock bottom was I, I knew that I needed help and like, but it made me feel, and I would justify it by like watching, this sounds so goofy, but like, you know, the show Intervention. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I used to, I used to watch Intervention and like these, these, and I just watched these like people and I just, I would just, it make me feel happy. I was like, man, like I'm not that bad. You know, like I, like just total denial of like, you know, you'll do, you'll do okay. You know, you'll be better tomorrow. But and then I would do like the dumbest things too, like where I would reward myself. Like my longest amount of sobriety in five years was probably a, maybe a day or two. And I made it past like those two days and I would like lie to myself, be like, Hey, Michael, you got this. Like you, <laughs> you should go reward yourself, man. Like you, you earn yourself you a made 12 it two pack. Days, you went two man. days, 48 yeah. hours. That's like you a went, lifetime. Right. You, you earned <laughs> it. You earned it. This one's on you, you know? So, <laughs> <laughs> So I'd like run to the liquor store and grab more, but um, but I I started like I'm I'm getting sidetracked, but I started noticing like I just the recovery out of that was just terrible. I felt like crap, and like I noticed that my relationship with my spouse this is kind of the more important one that I was not aware of, uh, and I don't think a lot of people are when they are struggling with that type of addiction. How much pull it has on a relationship. But there's so much blame around so many other parts of that. It's not like alcohol. Like it was never alcohol was never the problem. It was like we just don't get along, you know, or mm. like, or we just argue about something stupid. And it, and I was like, we just this isn't clicking, and it turned into all these other facades. And deep down inside, once I actually kind of peeled back all the layers of it, I realized it was the alcohol really was the root of the problem. You know, like the trust and the denial and the hiding and the deceiving of alcohol all over my house. And my wife would find it and I'd come up with some stupid excuse like, oh, I don't know. That was that was there like a year ago. And it's like, well, we've only been living in this house for six months. So that's not even possible. <laughs> you know. It's so, basically a year. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but you just come up with like the most horrendous stories behind it. And, and I finally, my wife and I... Uh, she found some more like bottles of wine somewhere and I like find she left the house and she was all pissed at me and I just like broke down by myself in my house alone. I just thought, okay, I have, I have a home. I have a job. I have a wife. I have a kids. Like, why am I doing this? Why am I just ruining this? And I'm all of these memories I'm thinking of, of like Christmas drunk, New Year's completely drunk, Thanksgiving drunk kids birthday parties drunk and like starting filling these memories with that type of behavior really was uh was really depressing you know like i'm there my family's better off without me mm. it's it's more of those thought thought process that starts to kind of click and thinking like who cares what happens to me you know i'm, I'm not coming out of this i feel like shit all day long every day and uh it's a it's a horrible feeling so I, I, what happened to me was like, I told my wife, I, I told her to come back home. I was like, don't leave the house. Like, I don't want to, we're not doing this. Like, we're not that couple. I want to talk with you. So she came back to the house and I was just having a conversation. I was just like, I need help. 
you know, and I, I don't know what that is. And I, I'm, I'm always been kind of an anxiety anxious person. And I had all these, like, you hear the horror stories of like people withdrawing off of alcohol and they're like, okay, you can die from that. And just thinking of like that alone, I was like, okay, like I would be like closing my eyes at night and be like, well, this might be it. Like <laughs> good night world, you know? And it was a real feeling, a feeling like that. And then, um, I, so I told my wife, I was like, I need some help. So my, I did the right thing and I went to a doctor and I went to the doctor and I started telling him about like my, history and like what I've been doing. And he was, you know, non-biased, great doctor in a way. He, you know, I should call, throw him under the bus for this one, but it's my own fault. Uh, but he gave me Librium and Lexapro mm-hmm. and I started taking that and it, it turned me into a, a world spin of the concoction of Librium, Lexapro and a bunch of alcohol <laughs> doesn't doesn't quite mix, so it's not the not the best uh, thing. You know, I thought I was doing the right thing, and I just was abusing that. And I got pulled over, and I told the story earlier. I was going 160 miles an hour, and the cops came over, pulled me over, whatever. So then I drove home. Luckily, I didn't go to jail that night, but I I got back to my house, and I like kicked the door open. I was like yelling, like not at my wife, but like just really mad. Like, I can't believe I got pulled over and da, 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 da. And just was off on some story. And then like, she went to bed and, and I just was like marched around the house. And like, eventually I just like turned into this like outer body experience I've never felt before. And like, I was just not there. Mm -hmm. I was just, I was like just a robot and just cooked up on Lexapro and Librium and a bunch of, uh, you know, alcohol. And my wife found me at like two, three in the morning with a gun to my head in my closet. And I had no idea how I even got there. Like it was really shocking. It was loaded ready to go. And she just like looked at me and she was just like, what are you doing? Like screaming, you know? And then she obviously had a fear of her own life because she had no idea what I was doing. I, yeah, she absolutely. Says, she says I was trying to I was trying to talk back to her and I was like not even speaking English. It was just like blurts. And uh, so after that, I had a uh, the she called the police the, and there was not just one police officer that came. I mean, there was like 15 with the paramedics and fire truck and they all came to the house. And the, fortunately, the chief of police captain, he uh, he talked me over the phone in like a really clear way just like hey mike like this isn't you you know like just put the gun down don't do anything stupid like don't come out the house like with the gun like <laughs> <laughs> that escalated that escalated so, quickly so fast right <laughs> and, and i just felt like finally I, I came to when i was in the ambulance and i had to go to the hospital and then like they took my blood sample and my like blood alcohol level was like through the roof they were like they were like treating me like a science experiment. They're just like, oh, just should we give him some like IV? Like, you know, should we some fluids? He's not doing very well. But here was the thing that was like really like hard on me was when I was actually laying in the hospital bed and I would like ask a nurse, I was like, I'm thirsty or I want a blanket, I'm cold. Dude, they treated me like fucking shit. Really? Was, yeah, dude, because like they thought they thought that I was uh, like suicide guy. You know, like, oh, he doesn't give a shit about his life. He doesn't, oh, no, now he wants a blanket. He's all yeah. cold. <laughs> oh, he's thirsty. Hmm. A couple hours ago, he had a gun to his head, you know? And it, that was, like, really weird. They were just like, hmm, okay. And then after that, I had to go to a psych ward for, like, 
two days, you know, because I was like, whatever they call it, 5150 or 5050 or 50, I don't know, there's some code, yeah, police code, I don't know, I don't know. where like you can't leave. But, um, but the, so long story short with that, like the, I, I did that for the weekend and it was, uh, it was terrible. I hated it. Like just being in a, like, you know, the lady from the ring. Yeah. There was like, there was like a lady like that that would pace up and down the hallways. And then they had to come in and check on you every 15 minutes, make sure you were breathing at night too. So like they'd come in and like shake your elbow. I was like, yeah, I'm still awake. Yep. You came in here 15 minutes ago. So I got out of that, but like, so what, what I'm trying to say is even that, okay. So I had that experience and like a lot of people would have like clued in and be like, Hey, that's, that's enough. Yeah. That's like, pretty let's, big low, man. Let's just, let's that's just very cut it big off. Low. Let's just cut it off. And, but like literally within a few days of, of getting out of that, I was drinking again. Isn't that insane? <laughs> because it's not the alcohol that was the problem. Right. Right. I'm sure, I'm sure it could have been like any, anything else, you know, right. I didn't have enough sleep that night. Right. Maybe that's it. Well, it was like yeah. five or six days of sobriety. And first time I drank again, it was like, I did, I went to bed that night and I woke up and I didn't have a hangover. I was like, Oh, I can do this. I can be an adult. I can, <laughs> I can be an adult drinker, but, but anyhow, it turned into kind of like a month and a half ish of just whatever. And then eventually my wife and I, it was just like, it was present again. She was like, clearly you're drunk. And that's when I like threw the towel and called my parents. Had to kind of, I like had a self intervention, you know, like with my parents wow. and kind of brought them here and just told them, I was like, I'm not okay. Like I literally sat to my mom. I was like, mom, I am not okay. And she just looked at me and she's like, yeah, I, we're here. What do we need to do? And mm-hmm. that's when I jumped in and, and decided to do a 30 day treatment, which was huge, huge. You know, and, and definitely all these like weird things about it, like thinking like, oh, great. Now everyone's going to know about it. Everyone's going to treat me like shit, you know, just all these weird things. But mm-hmm. over time, like you kind of peel off all those layers and you, you start feeling me, like myself. I feel like who the person who I feel like a kind of God wanted me to be. Yeah. You know, like me, authentic self. Oh, absolutely. So and that, that felt good to get that back again. Yeah. Is that why you keep doing it? Is that why you yeah. Get, yeah. Yeah. I think like, yeah. I mean, I, one thing I'm like really grateful for, I'm so happy that I have like a memory that I do. I just remember so much. And I, and I have a sense of like smells too. Really weird. I like, my wife can't wear like perfume cause it gives me headaches. And, but, <laughs> I, but like different smells bring back different memories. And when I smell something, it, it's either associated with a positive or a negative. Uh-huh. You know, like if I smell like a vodka, a certain type, you know, even I'm like, oh yeah, that was, that was a fun time or like, or the, a negative or a terrible time. But all having those, that type of a mindset is nice now. Cause like I can stop myself before the problem occurs. Uh-huh. You know, I can say, well, you don't want to do this because this is what it's done for you. And, and, and taking like that type of break power that I've learned has been huge and beneficial to me. Yeah. Kind of playing the tape through. Right. Right. Long story short. Sorry. That's a lot of like, no, you're good. Hopefully it made sense. Probably doesn't. It does. I think it does. I don't know. I guess it really depends like whoever's listening to this right now. (laughs) Sorry, everybody. (laughs) These two are so weird. All right. (laughs) So we have, uh, we've kind of made it through the intros. We've only spent an hour on it. So I think it's great. Yeah. So, uh, let's, um, you want to talk about some, some addiction stuff? Sure. Let's talk about it. Um, 
what's your definition? What's what is your version of addiction? Like, what do you what do you see it as? I see it as. I don't. It's it's hard for me, but I, I feel like it's a personality thing. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like I, I feel like to each their own of something, but I feel like deep down inside your personality of who you are has like a level of addiction of whatever that is. Mm-hmm. If that's you're having to go to McDonald's in the morning to get a diet Coke sort of a thing or overeating of like anything or drinking or obviously drugs, alcohol, um, spending, you know, porn. I think there's so much stuff that, uh, is out there, but I feel like it's more of a personality thing to me. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. What about Um, you? I think, I I think you're right. I think, I think addicts get put into, um, I think the word addiction it has a lot of taboo to it. Mm-hmm. So when somebody says that they're addicted or you know they're an addict, immediately in society has done this as well at, um, on media and things like that. You see an addict as this terrible, um, maybe homeless. Right. See them on the street, you know, tattered like clothes, begging for change, begging for change mm-hmm. or they're criminals and they're in jail and they've got tats all over the place and they've got. You know, all these, there's all, there's the stigma to it. Mm -hmm. And I don't, and I think that that's, um, that's a really big misconception Mm -hmm. as far as addiction goes. I mean, the, the definition for addiction, like the, the, like the, the, like DSM five. Oh no, this is, this is, (laughs) this is professional. By the way, neither of us are, are doctors. So, um, or are we? Or are we? <laughs> um, addiction is defined as a maladaptive pattern of substance use leading to clinical significant impairment or distress. Um, but substance use could also be substances, a thing, or an activity. So it could really be, I mean, anything. Anything that causes someone distress. And it doesn't even have to be, like, blatant distress. The, the neighborhood mom that drinks too much soda and is 300 pounds, you right. know? Obviously, there's a problem because they're constantly drinking sugar, but they're also constantly overweight, and that's causing their life to stress. Um, same with you could do the overspender, like what you said, right? Like the the person that's in, you know applying for more and more credit cards. Yeah, and exactly. Like thousands of dollars in debt. Exactly, and they can look really well off. I mean, right. that's a great wardrobe that you're wearing. However, you're you know sixty grand in debt right. with your your new car and whatever else you know they're buying. And that, that's also addiction. Um, but also with those other things, though, like there's like a level in society where like it's not okay, you know, but like people not like getting away with it, but like it's not like it's obviously the guy that's homeless on the street is like very clear, like he has a problem, you know? Yeah. Where I guess that's what I'm trying to say is like on these other levels of addictions, it's like, well, clearly he's overweight, you know, but like, there's kind of levels of, I feel like they're like ranked. Yeah. Do you feel that way? Oh yeah, absolutely. So say like for instance, um, a heroin addict is going to get a lot more crap for their addiction in comparison to a shopping addict. Sure. Right. And, and, and so on. And there are, there are levels of, um, you know, somebody who is severely obese that has a serious eating problem. Um, a lot of people give slack to that. 
They're like, oh, absolutely. Oh, they're like, like, well, they have a, you know, they have a, an overactive thyroid or, or whatever. And you know, honestly, I'm sure there are obese people that have an overactive thyroid. Or well, I'm sure there is, but, but there, like, there's, there's a lot of people just, I mean, they see it and they go, oh, well, that's just, you know, this person. But in reality, it's that person is killing themselves just as quick as the heroin addict is killing themselves. But I'm also, I'm not judging this by any means. Like, don't think that I'm going off in the wrong way. But a lot of times, like when I do see like an obese person you also see that in that family too. Oh. Like you see like younger children that are like clearly obese and it's like, what's going on, you know? And, and it's the same thing, like kind of like with the, with like the alcoholic too. It's like, Oh yeah. Absolutely. Dad's an alcoholic. Little kids learn the, kind of the ropes of, yeah. of that type of addictive personality or the child that sees the mom at the store always buying a bunch of random shit that they don't need. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, that's becomes like the, their norm. Yeah. You know? And that's actually, I mean, that's really how a lot of addiction or I guess just addictive ha- habits and tendencies spread. Like start. And, yeah. Is and from, going. yeah. Is from parent to child, to child, to child. Right. Um, one of the, one of the things, I mean, I've had like, <laughs> I've had years of therapy and one of the things that uh, I had a therapist tell me was the way that if no one addresses those behaviors, so if nobody addresses, say for instance, um, their shopping habit mm-hmm. or um, I don't know their dependency on whatever it may be, um, what happens is that because there's shame that's involved with it, right. right? Everybody, everybody who experiences some level of addiction, whatever it may be, always experiences kind of some level of shame. Like so, say I went and bought this new wardrobe, and I like focusing on stuff that's not as you know. I'm a heroin addict right. and I, you I know, had to go down stole my, my mom's purse. Yeah. <laughs> I like focusing on things that are a little less dramatic because that happens. That's, that's more, common. more commonly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So say for instance, like the, the suburban housewife who has, um, who has a Valium script mm-hmm. and she is constantly taking more than, you know, what she's recommended or um, justifying because her name's on the label. Yeah. Just or, justifying because mm-hmm. her name is on the label or, um, even um, say that she she runs out and she takes her friends or something like that. There's mm-hmm. this level of shame, whatever it may be, and in in whatever regard, sticks with them. And and then what happens is that shame gets passed down from her to their kids, mm-hmm. and the kids actually take that shame, and then they get into those habits, the same habits that the parent is in with that shame, and then it just progressively spirals. And so there's a lot of people out there that are carrying like shameful habits that came from their, their grandparents. Right. Um, and it just progressively goes and there's a way to actually, and by addressing it, you can actually stop that. But that's, I, I mean, just from what I've seen by working in the treatment or in the recovery industry, cause I worked with youth that were in state custody for mm-hmm. a few years and all of them, I mean, every one of them are products of their parents. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, like I, so in the construction world, I actually did a project at it. Uh, it was a really a lockdown prison, like the worst of the worst go. Like there was death row inmates, like all of them, old state were there. And we were doing this uh, remodel job at the prison and I had to go, I was the project manager. I went out there and met with them and all this dust was flying into the um, like waiting room where like the parents come in and see their sons and I was like, maybe we should blow off the smoke because it's like going all over the place. And the head warden looked at me and she, she was like, I don't, don't turn it off. 
like let it you know we got to get this construction we got to get this thing rolling you know we got i want this this project to finish and and she says i don't really give a shit about those people she's like and this sounds this is terrible i probably shouldn't be saying this but <laughs> she was just like the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree you know because then i was like what do you mean and she's like look and she, you're listening and the mom is yelling at the son who's serving a life sentence and she's like you got hit you go hit him back yeah <laughs> You know, and she's screaming at her son, like, and I like, and I looked at the warden, and I was just like, oh, you know, it's true though. Like, in some ways, I'm not saying all of it. I'm not going to be that bad guy, you know. But yeah, you've already just lost the listener. It's I know. Podcast one. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Since there's nobody right now, <laughs> I should just apologize to myself. <laughs> um. That was like a weird long tangent around it, but I was, what basically, what it, we're, you know. Yeah, what you're getting at. Mm-hmm. Um, what, uh, so as far as, as far as addiction goes, I mean, there's so many, there's so many ways um, to look at, to look at addiction. And I, I personally hate the, I, I don't, I, I don't hate it. I mean, it's, it's negative. I try to combat the whole negative stigma of it, but I also try and combat the whole stigma that, addictions are different so like the addiction or the difference between addiction and alcoholism Mm -hmm. you know you go to aa or na or ca or fa or whatever it may be and they're all created because these people can't um agree on on you know my addiction is different than yours you know how how it's the same do you see do you see a difference in it like well like for for me yeah i know what you're saying like for me, like I walked into rehab and never doing like what I would consider a hardcore drug. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So like you're already leveling yourself up when you walk into a facility. You're like, oh, you know, I, was, I watched one guy walk down. And he was like, yeah, my DOC is math or whatever. And I was just like, oh, well, shit, I'm glad I didn't do that. You know, like, <laughs> so I think there's I think no matter how you whatever angle you take, people are still going to level up, you know, of on a level of like, I'm, I'm not that, or I'm not this, or, uh, if that makes any sense. Yeah. We, well, we compare ourselves, um, to, I mean, we can, we put ourselves just instinctually on a, a pedestal higher than somebody else to make ourselves feel better. About right. Where we're at. Yeah. It's like, I can't, I'm so happy. I've never been an alcoholic, but man, I have a hundred thousand dollars in credit card debt, you know? <laughs> but I'm not drunk like that guy. <laughs> or I lost my foot cause I was a diabetic cause I couldn't stop drinking Sprite. You know? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so I have a question for you though. So talking about addiction though. So what, how do you like, how do you approach somebody with an addiction though man that's a really good question that's like like i'm wondering because like you're, you're like oh it's like you really probably shouldn't question. spend money if you don't have the money you know like on that level but like how how does one do that though i think that it's like i i i mean i've seen so many ways that people approach it mm-hmm. and there are so many wrong ways to approach it um, so I think I'll focus on that first. Uh, the first one is do not call them out. Like, so say, so if I, if I had somebody who had a, who had a, an addiction problem, the last thing that I would do is for one, call them out in front of anyone. Mm-hmm. And then for two, call them out when they're loaded. Right. Because immediately there's this wall up 
um, this intoxication wall that, that you can't get through. And you'll have, I mean, I know so many people and anyone who's listening to this that's a drinker has seen someone at a bar that's just bawling their eyes out. Oh, yeah. I mean, just a, an emotional wreck of, in. we hit, yeah, I hate my life and la da 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 And even at that point, you can't, there's nothing that right. will go through because they'll wake up the next morning and say, oh, well, I was just drunk. Right. You know? And so from what I found a lot of times is waiting, I mean, you really got to ride it out until that person, like say for instance, um... If I would have approached you before the the gun incident and before all of that other stuff, and I would have said, hey, bro, you have a drinking problem. Uh, I mean, how would you have, like, would you have really received it that well? Or would you have been like, no. oh, I mean, I can, you know, I'm, I'm <clears throat> fine. Blah, blah, blah. Um, a lot of it has to do with the person being ready and, and addressing it, you know, themselves. No, I think you're right. Because, like, I, I think, you know, because there's, so I got to read this quote to you. I, we went to an AA meeting and this guy was talking pretty much about what we're talking about now and kind of like, what, how do I stop? You know? And he basically said that like, cause it doesn't matter. I mean, people lose their, you, you lose your job. You can lose your family from different addictions, you know? <clears throat> and he said that, uh, consequences never merited over the substance mm. and meaning like that substance is so powerful it will it will take everything from you everything yeah oh absolutely you know and the consequence doesn't matter i don't care if i get arrested i don't care if i go to jail you know i mean i had my like wife telling me like i want you to stop drinking and i was like looking at her like you're not the boss of me <laughs> like i'm an adult i can do this i can be an adult and clearly that's a lie but you know. <laughs> I mean, what I thought was an adult. Right. So I'm saying, like, on, on that level, like, it's it's hard to be able to, like, just all of a sudden go call out people and be like, hey, you should fix this. You don't, you're not right. But there's also, we can be there for people as well. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think if you, in, in my my way, I can kind of give it, uh, my story with this is, is being and living by example. Mm -hmm. And it sounds kind of cheesy, but... I feel like I came out of rehab and I set my standard extremely high of this is the path that I want to be. Nobody else. I don't care what like my parents think, my boss, who's my dad. I'm going to be me and I'm going to do me and no one's going to stop me. And even that became with my friends and my really, really close friends. I was like, I'm, you know, they're asking me like, Mike, are you think you'll never drink again? I'm just like, nope. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not going to do it, but I laid it out in front of them mm -hmm. and just said, if you want to hang out with me, I don't care what you do. Like you drinking in front of me does not like encourage me. It doesn't like make my water, my mouth water, you know, mm -hmm. but I want that. But, uh, I finally can like just be me mm -hmm. and, and do that. And, and laying that out there was so much easier. Cause I, I think it's such a struggle for people where they get, out of rehab or they get back into the system with their close friends and they're like, Hey man, we should do this again and do this. And, and there's just like no level of respect. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I remember when I was in treatment, some, uh, I had a guy come up to me and he said, you know, one day someone's going to be asking you the same questions that you're asking me. Yeah. And immediately the thing that went through my head was bullshit. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> like, like, what are you talking about? What the hell are you talking about? And, uh, but it's true. Um, I, I get the same questions working in a treatment facility. I get the exact same questions that um, people that I asked mm -hmm. asked to me on a regular basis. And, uh, and I think you're right. I think that one way that you can really help somebody is 
or one of the best ways, um, probably the best way of helping people is, is being that example and mm-hmm. is being that open because so many people find so much shame in addiction. Oh, yeah. And I mean, like I said, the word has such a taboo to it. Um, but in reality, millions of people suffer from it. And if we're open about it and if we right. say, yeah, I did have a problem, but guess what? I conquered that issue and I am progressively, I'm working on it. I'm, working on yeah. it and I'm getting better. And that's going to create a safe environment for other people to that's walk. A <laughs> There's a baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's going to create a safe environment for people to, to approach you and say, hey, I have this problem as well. Right. What do I do? Um, because that's really what it is, is a lot of it is they have to, they have to walk up to you. That person has to approach you. I mean, you could tell somebody all day, you're fucking up, you're doing this, you're doing that. And they could just live in denial. And until they get to that point where they're like, okay, I need help. They're going to turn to the people who they know are, are doing what they need to do. Well, that, but like, it's, I hit that wire, but it, it, it shines, you know, they're like, I, yeah, you know, that guy looks like he's doing all right. Like, what is it about him? You know, yeah. like what, what is it? Like, I kind of want to know, you know, like I, I've had, I've not like I'm both boosting myself up by any means, but like, I've had a few friends that have like actually contacted me and be like, Hey, like, what do I like? Is this, you know, am I, am I in some trouble? You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you seem like is you have all your a, shit together. Is like this an ordinary behavior. Yeah. You know. <laughs> And it's like this kind of those real raw questions that, you know, and I'm not embarrassed by it. You know, like that was like my big thing. I was like, I don't want people to know. And like, especially like with my in-laws, um, you know, I, they're probably on the, one of the, you know, sorry if they're listening to this right now, they're probably like, oh man, but <laughs> they, they definitely have a high standard of, of how they do things and kind of their level of expectation. It's not a wrong thing. That's just who they are. That's yeah. how they've raised and works for their relationship. And it's great. Um, but to kind of live up to that, it's kind of hard sometimes, you know, to, to think that you're trying really hard, but you're not quite there, you know, and going into rehab and coming out, but finally like having a level of, I don't really care, you know, mm-hmm. I'm doing me and it's working. So well, you obviously can shake hands and have a mutual respect for each other and right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And not hiding behind that. It just, exactly. Because you never know. I mean, maybe... I, I'm not going to curse them or anything, but there could be anyone in anybody's family member that... Or, yeah, anybody's family members uh, that are suffering with something like that that yeah. we aren't aware of yet. And and so to be open about that and to not hide that, you know, this is what I'm doing, this is what... Because instinctually, I mean, that's what everybody wants to do. You know, I don't want to be different. Right. I don't want to be different than any of you people. But when you're when you're you're hiding back on some of those stuff that like I look back at like a lot of my family vacations on my on my side of the family and, and uh, you know my two sisters they don't drink my older brother and I we've definitely had our fair share of parties partying you know and and we would do it together a lot of times in front of the in front of the family and also hiding it as well like on a on a uh, on a trip or something and like watching the dynamics of the family when that comes out was never like a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like you could tell like there was people looking, you know, upset about something or my dad is pissed off. Like I told you guys not to do this, you know? And now like kind of living on a different wavelength with it of being in sober. It's like the dynamic is how a family unit should be. It's like, mm-hmm. we're, 
you're there for each other. You know, I got a sister who lives in New York, sister lives in California, and we haven't been that this close since like we were all living underneath my mom and dad's roof. Mm-hmm. Since I took this approach and went to rehab and kind of like laid it out, like I need help. This is not working. Like and and watching the support from my own family and from my in laws, you know, and my wife's family, it's been totally different. And it, and it, that's the purpose of it though is like you're you're honest, you're raw you let it out and you're there for each other. Like it's, it sounds simple, but it's, it's really pretty hard you yeah. know, to do. Oh, you yeah, kind of commit absolutely. with it, you know? Yeah. I think most people would actually be quite amazed at the level of support that they would, that they gain, um, from saying I have a problem, right? I need help. Um, a lot of people see that as weakness, especially men, oh, man, yeah. Oh, yeah. kidding me, big, Big hardcore, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, construction worker. I right. don't need help, um, dude. I worked for my dad for years, man. And the last thing I was gonna go up and tell somebody was, "Hey, I need your help." Right? <laughs> Hell no. Yeah. Um, and so, it yeah, and it um, so so here's the here's a curveball question. And right. I, honestly, I think I think that this we we should probably make a segment of this on just yeah on just this question but um as far as like as far as keeping it to ourselves and as far as um the shame goes what do you think i almost kind of sound robotic no you're good okay i know all right good um spit it out yeah well no the the microphone sounds robotic oh um do you think do you think addiction is a disease or a choice that's a good one I think it's a disease. Okay. Why? I think it kind of like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm making funny faces. I think it goes back into like my whole thing with the whole personality thing again. Mm-hmm. You know, because like you could... Somebody who's born, they could be more driven than somebody else that's not, you know? Or somebody could be happier than somebody who's not. I, And I, I feel like... I feel like you're... I don't know. I'm not going anywhere with this. <laughs> But I do feel like, I do feel like it's a disease though. And, and I, I do feel like once you do recognize that you have a problem, I think at that point, like you can, like you have the knowledge that you have the choice at that point, if that makes sense. I feel yeah. like if you're kind of on the mountain, you're like, okay, this, this is clearly, if I go this route, it's going to be negative. And at that point you have the choice if you want to do that or not. Cause you can, you can, you know, mm-hmm. we can, there's nothing stopping you and me right now from standing up and going to the Seven Eleven and going crush some, some forties right now, you know, but that's a choice, you yeah. know, <laughs> <laughs> it we, is. We, but it's the disease factor of it is like, we clearly know we're aware. Like we do that. We know it's not going to be one. We're going to, it's, we're going to be going all night, you know, mm-hmm next week and then take a month and then all of a sudden we wasted a whole nother year of our life again. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, what do you think? I think, um, I get really, so like I used, they told me that I was sick, right? In treatment, they're like, you're sick and mm-hmm. you're not well and la da 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 da. And I don't necessarily think they're wrong when they say that, but I also thought for a really long time that disease was a cop out. Mm-hmm. I thought, I could just use it. I mean, people were just using it as a reason to be sh- like shitty people. Sure. You know, I'm sick, so I can 
you know, I, I can go Rottle Pharmacy. Right. Um, and in reality, and I had a really hard time. Also, the other thing that, that came into uh, my, uh, of course, my phone's going off. Um, <laughs> I like your ringtone. I know, it's pretty good. Uh, disease or choice. Uh, it was, it really came down to every time I thought that I knew uh, that I had control. So like, say for instance, Liar Liar, the movie Liar Liar yeah. came up with Jim Carrey and the <clears throat> claw, you know, how, yeah. how am I incapable? How am I so sick that I'm incapable of controlling my right hand? You know, right. like, I can pick a cup up, you know, I can put it down. Right. Obviously I'm not sick. And obviously there's not, there's not this disease or whatever. Um, it is a choice, right? Well, the problem, the problem that happens is I got into, it was a choice. Initially, initially it was a choice. I did choose to, to get high and I did choose to get drunk, but it came, it was what came after that initial choice. Mm -hmm. um, it's like exactly what you were saying. Things almost became um, robotic. They became just habitual. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the, the disease aspect lies is because it, it is a choice. Initially, it is a choice to, to pick up a drink or to pick up a drug or whatever that may be. But once an addict gets into that, like once, once that chemical gets into that addict, um, it's almost like something just switches in their brain. And I mean, it was in, in mine anyway. And then I just, I'm in habit and, and I go and I go and I go. And that's where, that's where, um, I think the disease lies because I'm so people, people always fight about this, you know, mm -hmm. it's a choice, let it up. Addicts right. just need to get their shit together. You just need to stop. But why would you do that? Just exactly. Stop. Just stop doing it. <laughs> uh, exactly. But think about it this way. Is someone honestly, are, are we honestly capable of making a system of irrational decisions comp like consciously irrational decisions that fight against basic human instincts which is survival right like do we actually think that um because that's what we're programmed to do we're programmed basic instincts or is to survive and addiction does the exact opposite of that it's it basically will bypass those mm -hmm. and and we'll go straight to i mean I'll, I'll pick drugs over food, you know? Right. I'll pick drugs over sex. I'll pick drugs over sleep. Well, food, sex, and sleep, guess what? Those are three things that are vital to progression. Right. Do I honestly think that I have the capability of, of consciously choosing my self-destruction? I don't think so. I yeah. think that's where it comes in. I feel like the hard... Yeah, I know what you're saying. That makes... I like that, though. It's a different slant that I have. But I do... I, I, one thing I, I struggle with is like, so I've only been sober nine months now and it's like, <clears throat> I still am like waiting, you know, like waiting for like, I don't know how to explain it. Like something good to be like shown to me. Like you, you are doing like the right thing. Cause like, I still feel like shit, you know, mm -hmm. it's, you still feel tired or groggy or, you know, like you need to pick me up from a coffee or something, you know, during the day. Mm -hmm. But like I, I always like ask myself. I'm like, did you like, did you ruin yourself? Like, did it, you know, like, did you ruin your brain? Like, is this gonna be forever? Mm -hmm. And that's that's the hard thing with me with the with the whole disease thing because it's like, I, I it's like a question mark because I don't know. Like, I don't. Mm -hmm. I'm still like fresh with this, obviously. Yeah. 
and I, I mean, nine months is pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's pretty like, good it's, a chunk yeah. of time. I a feel lot pretty of good about. I have that. Yeah, a lot of people don't have that. So, <laughs> how long have you been sober? Uh, it's coming on four and let's see, four and a half years. Four yeah. and a half years, right around there. Yeah, but did you? Way too long. Yeah, but, like on my, <laughs> I know, I would just want to be like Zach. <laughs> um, but like, did you, do you feel like you're got, like you're comfortable now? Like how long did it take you to like really feel good about yourself? It took me almost a year at least. Actually, I bet it take, I bet it actually took almost, I would say like 18 months ish. The the problem with the drugs that I was doing, well, there was a lot of problems with the drugs I was doing, <laughs> uh, mainly the drugs that I was doing. Uh, but the, the the problem with them is they had a really long, they call it pause post acute withdrawal symptoms, as mm-hmm. a really long half life, and so amphetamines specifically take about eighteen months for your brain to rewire, and and so for the first year and um. We actually have a friend who, who's who's kind of going through this right now. The first year is very much emotional nothing. Yeah. Um, and, and I hear that goes for a lot of drugs um, and drinking and stuff like that. It's just emotional. I, 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 I flatline. And whenever I... I could go climb Mount Everest and I'd get to the top and I would be... You're like, oh. I would literally be in... I mean, I would just... I would be... Um, what's that word? Just like not impressed. Um, yeah, just I mean apathetic. Okay. I guess. I mean I, I had zero not emotions. Yeah, not amused. <laughs> exactly. There we go. I'm sure there's a better word for it. Um I know there is, but and, you like and climb be, Everest, you're like, this bores me. Yeah, it, literally <laughs> though, that's what would happen. And I, I would be around all these people and they'd be laughing and they'd be having this, you know, great time, and I would have this hollow, this hollow laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, I would laugh with them just because they were laughing, but they would, I never found anything actually humorous. And it took probably until about 18 months in and uh, regular, I mean, I was seeing a therapist regularly and going to meetings and all this other stuff until I finally was able to, I guess I, I didn't, it, one day it just kind of hit me. It's like, wow, you know, I am content. I'm happy. Yeah. Um, and it did, it took some time, but it was well worth the whole I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I feel. Because yeah. a lot of people don't. Especially if you've been using or drinking like a large majority of your life. When I was in treatment, I didn't know what kind of music I liked. Yeah. I didn't know what I liked to do. I didn't know what my... Um, what my I didn't know. I, I didn't have any favorites of anything. Yeah. So I was like, what's your favorite color? I don't know. It's a color. Like, I don't even... Like... <laughs> a rainbow? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> like, black. Yeah. Um, black like my soul. That's basically... Um, but yeah, and so what, that's so, so common. And that actually is what takes out a lot of people. I think, well, I know it does. I mean, that's why they, they're, you know, when you go to rehab, they like encourage you, you know, you should do IOP or you should get into, you know, day treatment or get into sober living. So you're kind of in focused around that culture, you know? Mm-hmm. And like for me, for like, you know, after the whole detox thing and getting into rehab, I remember like people tapping on my shoulders, like, and talking to me, like to my face and be like, hey, Mike. Mike, I just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is, and it scared me because I was just thinking to myself, is this, is this forever? You know, like it, yeah. it's just like, it's a terrible <laughs> feeling of, of like, it's not forever. yeah. And you're like, okay. And your heart rate goes up and then like it, you wake up in the middle of the night with cold sweats and you just feel like, you know, ass, you know, mm-hmm. it sucks. Like I would never wish that on my enemy. 
worst enemy. I would never, you know, having to go through that. And, you know, I would still even three, four, five months sober, I'd wake up at my house, like on a Saturday morning and I felt like I was hung over and I like shake and like wake my wife up in the night and just like, did I like suddenly sleepwalk to like a store and grab like beer and stuff like I, I feel like I feel like completely drunk right now so like, do you attribute that to to the disease thing is that yeah okay yeah nice. so like, like that. yeah it was in, in it was very real like I don't really believe it because like there was all these like doctors that were telling me stuff when I was in you know treatment and stuff and and like this could be a variable thing for how much alcohol you're actually drinking like this could be a real thing <clears throat> and uh, it was it was real and they weren't lying those doctors know their <laughs> shit they must have gone to school for a long time because like, they were like I just, it was weird I just wake up and just you know had this hangover and mm-hmm. I didn't even drink mm-hmm. and you know so it takes that time and I know that the, one of the doctors said it's about a year uh, of sobriety to really try to like connect your life back together but I think a lot of people like you said they, it's a downfall for them you know it's 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 a uh, easier to to jump that way in back into it and saying you know I I remember one of the people that were in rehab you know he wrote on Facebook into our group chat he was just like is is being uh, sober is it being all that talked up you know is it is it really that good and everyone's like oh no yes it is yes and they're all typing really fast <laughs> and like the next day he got arrested you know and it was like then everyone's like see told you you know being sober is better and, and stuff and but it's like but it, it not to like throw him under the bus by any means because i love the dude but it's that's real you know people finally just like this isn't this sucks mm-hmm. you know like, I, I don't know if I can live my life like this forever, never, ever again, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay, we're kind of, like, running out of time. We only got to... I mean, we're already an hour and a half in. Um, okay. How long do these normally last? I don't know. I, th- I think we just <laughs> wing it. Let's maybe throw another... 10-ish, 10-ish right. minutes in there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm good with it. Maybe make it like I an guess hour, really, hour 45. It depends on We should put a warning label. Yeah, yeah, we should put a warning label. Warning, we talk a lot. Yeah. Um, warning, we don't make a lot of sense. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so um, how do you think uh, beyond... I don't, we, we talked about this. Like We talked about um, kind of shame going down from parent to kid to Mm -hmm. that kind of spreads addiction um there are like so many questions around like how is it i became an addict Mm -hmm. how 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 why me you know how um how was i dealt this how did i get here Mm -hmm. yeah what uh what do you think i i got some i got i got a few things but like what do you think would be um kind of what what kind of yeah, what would you be? What would you think that dealt you that card? I guess. So, f- kind of backing up to what I said, like I was born with a smile on my face, you know, mm-hmm. like always happy. But like I was always like that dude that would be like, would just go do it, you know, like oh, yeah. like I race skis, I race mountain bikes, and like I everyone was like, oh, you know, like Mike's gonna if anyone's gonna do it, Mike will do it. Like I'd go up on the hill skiing and. Just do a stupid shit. You know, I mean, obviously it worked. I broke 23 bones <laughs> and, you know, and counting and all my children. I've got one of my sons has broke a femur and his other child he has a broken wrist right now. <laughs> so it obviously runs in the family. Uh, but it's more that type of extreme personality that I have. You know, it's kind of like go big, go home. 
And I remember one time sitting around like a campfire with a bunch of my buddies and they all started telling like, oh, like, like, what's the worst, stupidest thing you did? And every one of my friend's stories, they all contributed to me. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I felt like just a piece of shit around this campfire where they're like, they weren't like deliberately doing it at me. Like, yeah, but it was like kind of like one upping each other. But like every story had like this root of like, how did we get there? And it was like, well, because of Mike, you know, <laughs> it was like, it, it was, it was weird, but that's not too far off of like who, who I am, I guess. And to kind of on the whole getting myself into that alcoholic way, it definitely was like fun. Like at the very beginning and my parents don't agree with this with me at all, but I told them, I was like at the very beginning with my like anxiety and like the, my way of life at the time, alcohol for a while, like actually helped. You know, it, like, helped me to be more calm. It helped me to, like, relax and, like, let, you know, loose a little bit. You know, I finished kayaking a massive river, and I'd, like, pound a beer with some buddies, and, like, it was, like, a noble thing, you know? It's like, man, we did it. We can't believe we did this. And, but, like, for me, it just always turned into, like, the extreme aspect of it. Like, let's do this. Mm -hmm. And... I don't know. That's been my, I think that's, I could say that for me personally. It's, it's uh, kind of been an instinctually. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That makes sense. What about you? Um, a lot of it did come from like family. I mean, like, I mean my childhood, you know, like I said, I've been an addict. I have been an addict since I got as long as I can like, remember. <laughs> I mean, addicted to something, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever it may be. And so, uh, but there are so many, there's so many ways of, of creating an addict. I mean, your environment, your DNA, your, um, your trauma, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people are totally fine living life until something traumatic happens right. and then boom, like all of a sudden they're a raging drug addict, you know, or a shopaholic or whatever it may be. Um, and there's so many... Um, so many factors. I don't know. All I know is I and I and this is kind of the point that I wanted to get at is whether I'm gauging on whether or not I'm an addict. I think doesn't necessarily because people really get caught up with that. Um, they get caught up with well, am I an addict though, or am mm-hmm. I not an addict? I mean, how do I become an addict? And I don't. I think it's more along the lines of um, I, I think that what people should focus more along the lines of is. Do I have a problem, whether I have a problem or, or whether it's an addiction or not, whether I put a name on it or not, do I have a problem and am I going to address it? Right. Because um, people get so caught up. I'm sure that even somebody listening to, to this podcast will say or will be wondering in their heads, you know, am I an addict? Yeah, where am like, I at Yeah, this? Am, am I? How did I become this? Mm-hmm. How did this happen? Where did this come from? La-da-da-da-da. What are, you know, what is an addict or whatever else? And but also Google it. But but also with that, there's I'm sure that there's a level that people are feeling too of like that complete denial. Oh yeah, part of it too. I don't know. Just like yeah, I don't, yeah, know I don't like me watching intervention. Like oh, I'm so much better off than this person. Yeah, exactly. And kind of comparing it too. And I think it's more. I, I think that um, I guess kind of the reason that I pulled this up is is to address that like it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter if where my addiction came from. It doesn't matter how, at least not at this moment, it doesn't matter. What matters is I have a serious problem and I need to address it. Mm-hmm. How am I going to address it? Am I going to go to my doctor? Am I going to go to a treatment center? Am I going to go to my reach family? Reach out to my friend. Reach or, out to, yeah. 
exactly am I going to reach out to my parents or whatever it may be to actually to actually address that and I think that that's that's a really big hump that people can't get over because they they don't recognize or it's not that they don't recognize it it's that they live in kind of this wonder of well am I sick or am I not sick and I don't think that matters you know um and I really wanted to bring that up especially with the whole like who is an addict and am I an addict well doesn't necessarily matter i mean am i doing something that is causing me distress right yes okay i have a problem yeah like i like i have like one of my really really close buddies he'll like you know have a few beers and and he's totally content you know yeah it's like crazy i like watch him and and i'm just like kind of a non-biased judging opinion (laughs) i'm just like well that's not me dude's sick yeah i'm just like how how do you that type of like jedi control yeah, no kidding. You know? Like, you're only going to drink half of that beer? He's like, no, I'm done. I'm, I'm full. Don't want it. I'm just like, oh. Leave like half a glass of wine. <laughs> yeah. Like, how do you? Yeah. I mean, a glass of wine is maybe, what, a quarter full, and you yeah. leave half of that? That's right. a lot of wine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, but, like, with people like that, like, I have a, you know, and everyone's different, and I think that kind of rule of thumb of, like, kind of to each their own kind of works. You know, if you can really put the brakes on like I said earlier and like really look at yourself and ask yourself like is this working or is this not working you know mm-hmm. and, and really putting yourself up at, at that point because I, I I struggle with that I struggle looking at myself in the mirror mm-hmm. you know I look in my eyes and I, I, I look back at even photos to this day and I look like shit I, I know exactly like what was going on in my life mm-hmm. <clears throat> even though I was lying to everybody else about it it was like or this or that or whatever but like I knew what it was Mm-hmm. and uh, it's tough for people and you know because I know I know that I can speak about that because that that's that was me you know it's really hard to be that rough I'm not okay yeah way oh, absolutely you know? so I don't know I just that's my encouragement um, I don't know this is our first time even like trying to exit yeah. this thing <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen I hope that you <laughs> we're uh... So like like and like on a happy <clears throat> excuse me and like and on like on a happy note. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't I don't I it, that's just my encouragement is to you know look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself like is this working or is this not working? And if it's not working, figure out a way and really kind of taking an inventory like you know your your personal <clears throat> inventory on your life of if it's working or not. Absolutely, and that's hard. Yeah, it's very hard. I I I mean a lot of people would rather you know look at. Um, Come on, I'd rather look at your shit than my own. Yeah, oh yeah. Any day of the week, and it is, it gets very difficult. But I, I think you're right, though. I think that the the focus that um, people need to have is really on, do I have a problem? Right. It doesn't matter what this, you know, do I, am I an addict or whatever else? It's, do, am I contributing to a behavior that is causing me distress? Whatever right. it may be. At, at a minimum amount, maybe it's my bank account, or at a huge amount, you know, maybe I just jack somebody's car and mm-hmm. you know to sell it for dope um and i think that that's where i think that that's where um really a person needs to needs to address you know needs to, that's where yeah because oh i mean like a simple question like i was reading this thing about i don't remember where it was but it was talking about like the national statistics and uh of people that actually really enjoy their life you know they're like do you really do you do you enjoy waking up every day Mm-hmm. You know, do you enjoy doing what you're doing? Do you do you feel like you have enough that you're doing every single day? 
And uh, the statistic that was nuts was like how many people like actually hate their day job. <laughs> but like they're not willing they're not willing and that's the big thing was the willing willing you know because uh-huh. um, there's people that are willing to have a shitty job and they just are willfully doing it just because that's what they're used to and it's like somebody that has that type of addiction personality as well like they are willfully doing that you know they're going down that road and to make that willful change to not do that, it's hard, you know, for somebody saying, I hate my job, I'm going to quit right now, I'm going to go tell my boss I fucking hate this place and I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, it's hard because it paid, you know, it's now it's hard to go find what you really want to go do. But it was just shocking to me of like of how low the statistic was of like how many people really enjoy what they do every single day. And I don't know, I was like just comparing that to like on a, on addiction level too, but I don't know. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, we are... I know. That was like another Way out of time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm not sure what we're going to talk about next week. I guess we're going to... I don't know. We'll we, figure we got, it out. We've got some... we got all sorts of I got. We, we wrote like five or six pages down. We got enabling. We're going to talk about maybe next week or uh, how to help an addict correctly. That's Ooh. what we wrote down too. But yeah. I we kind know. of touched on that. So yeah, yeah we'll see... All right. Anyway, so uh, I just want to just want to thank everybody for listening and for hanging in for an hour and forty minutes. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully you like it, and uh, we'll see. Hopefully, you'll see more of us soon. All right. Peace out. <laughs>